Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, if you're enjoying our show, if you love what we're doing, if you would like to support us, we have a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. We have a brand new t-shirt line that's coming out, hats, coffee mugs, any kind of swag that lets your friends know that you support Vertical Momentum and you're always looking to get better. Also, we have our new coffee brand coming out. It's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. It's ass-kicking coffee, and, and it, will, it will get you moving in the morning. So, guys, if you're interested, go to www.richardkaufman.net. Check us out, leave us a note, tell us what you'd like, and we'll actually send it to you. The new website is being built, so if you guys want to, our book is out there on Amazon. It's called A Hero's Journey from Darkness to Light. Definitely check it out. It talks about my story, but it also talks about how to survive depression, how to survive addiction. All right, guys, I love you. Thank you so much for always supporting our mission, which is to save lives. Welcome back to another episode of Vertical Momentum. Guys, this is going to be a fun episode. Uh, hanging out with my friend Brent. We're going to be talking about business. We're going to be talking about life, a lot of different things. So Brent, brother, welcome to the show. How are you? What up, Rich? Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Everybody, thanks for listening. So what's new, man? I know it's today. It's it's one of those hot days out today. So, oh, busy, busy day. Yeah, I just did the brakes in my dad's truck, and it was disgusting in the garage. <laughs> it, it, it's because today. I mean, I actually went out and, and did my PT this morning, and my wife was like, "Wait a minute, it's ninety five degrees out, and you're walking around with a hoodie and a sweat belt." I'm like, "Hey, you got to do what you got to do," you know. I go out and do my yeah. uh, rucks every morning, but uh, to help out my dad. So, you know, family first. That's it. So, what's been going on? What's new in your world? Uh, not much. We have been doing what we can to try to keep our head above water with Killfoot Clothing, with all of the uh, shortages nationwide with uh, clothing. That's been rough, but um. The Proud to be American podcast has been doing very well. We've been rolling along. We just hit episode 25 last week. Um, tomorrow, our show is going to be really fun because we're going to be doing it live from my buddy's fishing boat down in Grind. So that'll be a good one to tune into for everybody. I don't know if you air your posts after or what you do with it, but yeah, tomorrow the 30th, that's going to be a fun one. I listen to every episode of your podcast. It's one of my one of my favorites. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. So now talk to us. Give us a little bit of background. Tell us where you're from and what kind of little kid were you? All right. So I came from Salem, Connecticut. I grew up, uh, you know, I guess you could say lower middle class. My father was a dairy farmer and... I always had an inkling that 
when I grew up, I wanted to be in the military. And then, you know, after some complications in high school, we figured out that that was the best path for me. So you're and, exactly the, the greatest student? No, no, I hated school. And even to this day, I still do hate school. I did um, post-military go back to school, to college, and I wound up getting my associates in business cum laude. And it's funny because I, I hate school. I actually despise it. I the just everything about it. I can learn just as much at home doing the same kind of work by myself and not having to waste my time with somebody pumping it in my face. But at the same time, I guess I need that kind of uh, structure in order to keep me rolling. But um, so you join the military now. Tell us, because um, I love hearing everybody's recruiting story. Talk to us about your recruiting story. Uh, my recruiting story was easy. I went in and they gave me my ASVAB, and they're like, "All right, you can pick whatever you want to do." And of course, my uh, recruiter was a Cav Scout, so he was pushing heavy to do Cav Scouts. And I'm like, "Uh, no, I kind of want to be in the infantry. How about uh, give me a Ranger contract? Can you do that?" And he's like you know, you can have any job you want. And I'm like, yeah, but I want to do that. I want to be in the infantry. I want to fight. And so uh, that was the recruiting station. They're like, are you, are you, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> like, this is right at the height of the Iraq war. I joined a year early. So I went through the delayed entry program when I was a junior. And then I graduated from high school and left two weeks later to go to basic training down in Fort Bend, Georgia. So you picked 11 Bravo instead of 19 Delta, correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was Bravo all the way. So what was basic like? You know, because I, I, like I grew up on the streets of Jersey, so I was a smart-ass punk. And uh, I had a, a rude awakening when I started meeting all these people from all around the country. So what was your experience like in basic? Well, with me being... Um, a down-to-earth country boy, I guess you could say. You know, I was always told, you know, respect your elder, speak when spoken to. And my cousin had just gone through basic training like a year earlier. So he came back, he gave me all the dope and said, hey, listen, do this, don't do that. You know, be, be seen, not heard was a big one. You know, just keep quiet and do what you're told and you got no problems. And I kind of maintained that path. I tried not to be the guy that was falling out. I tried to make sure I was, you know, not the head of the pack because I didn't want to be, you know, that loud guy up front. I kind of mend well through my life, just being part of the pack in the middle, just going with the flow, which is crazy where my life transitions to afterwards. But I guess we'll get into that later. So now did, the, did you take to the military? Yeah, no, I did very well. So because of this, I guess I was noticed because of my ethics and just my dedication to doing what I needed to do all the time and making sure that I was always, you know, every time I was doing PT, I was never slacking off. Every time I was getting smoked, I wasn't quitting. And that's a big thing uh, with the infantry, you know, just having that mentality of, you know, I'm not going to quit or when your buddy's having problems, helping them out, like on different tasks that you're doing, trying to figure out ways to get things done together rather than just charging up to the front by yourself. And I think that leads a lot 
you know, once we carry into the, uh, you know, civilian world and business and everything that helps out a lot there too, because now, there's a lot of, did you there's a lot of leaders out there that they are very much that like lead from the front, you know, my way or the highway charging forward. And they lose sight of the fact that you need to know where you came from, get back down into the weed sometime and work through the stuff with your people. Yep. But, um, now, uh, did you make it to Ranger selection? So I went through basic training. I wound up getting uh, meritoriously promoted at basic training. I went in as an E1, nothing. Meanwhile, my whole family's telling me, you should go to college. You should, you know, you're smart. Go to college, get your officer. And I'm like, no, I want to start at the bottom and work my way up. So I went in as an E1, got promoted to E2 uh right at uh basic went through airborne school and then i got to it was called riff at the time and this is the one time in my life that i will always regret regret is i was going through in processing and i opted out i quit at rip so i didn't get to go through the ranger indoctrination program and make it to uh battalion and that's probably one of my biggest regrets in life now, um, just into the mindset of why you quit. I was I was 18 years old. It was the first time I'd ever been away from my home for that period of time. I had been training for, you know, with infantry training, you've got basic and AIT back to back. So that's what 14, 15 weeks or something. And I had airborne school another three weeks. Then I was going to go through another three weeks of school, and my my head just wasn't in it at the time. I hadn't been through anything like that before. And I, I don't know if I was ready at the time to go through that. And I kicked myself in the ass every day for it since so, then. Cause so then how did you, um, cause a lot of people, um, if they fail at something or if they quit at something, they, um, they get so down on themselves that they stop growing. So what was it like to sit back and have to regroup? What was your mindset like when you finally started to regroup? Well, with me, it was, I was still in the training mentality. So there was, there was still places to go and new things to do. It was just different from what I had originally planned. So I went needs of the army at that point and got sent. It was funny. Here I am. Airborne qualified, I get sent up to Alaska to be stationed underneath the army. And um, it's a funny story. I always tell people, I get sent into Anchorage to the airborne unit there. It was first the 501st. They were deployed at the time to Afghanistan. So I'm in process and going through everything. And I'm like right about to draw all my gear. And they say, oh, hey, your orders changed you're going up north. And I'm like, I'm already in Alaska. How much further north am I going? <laughs> like, what's going on here? Are we having like a battle at the Arctic Circle or something? They're like, well, kind of close. You're going up to Fairbanks, which is in the middle of Alaska, about six hours north. And uh, so I wound up not being in an airborne unit, which sucked, but it was a saving grace for me at the same time. Um, so what kind of unit was it and what kind of training did you do? So I wound up in a striker brigade 
and it was amazing because those vehicles saved our lives so many times where if we were in the same type of blasts in a Humvee, I would have seen more of my friends dead. And being in the striker, I mean, there was times where we took triple stacked 155s, blew seven out of the eight of the wheels on the truck, and we were still able to drive back to base. Wow. So, I, you know, it wasn't directly underneath us. There was a lot of different variables, but it just uh, it made me feel good about the vehicle that I was riding around in compared to the Humvees, which were notorious for just getting blown to pieces. Now, how many years were you in? I did just under seven years. So I wound up being... Yeah, if I had done another couple months, it would have been seven years. So, obviously, you got deployed to a couple places, right? Yes. I did a deployment to... Well, I had two deployments to Iraq. But the first one was 2005-2006. We uh, were 172nd Striker Brigade. We were separate brigades, so we didn't have any divisional oversight. Um, And we got attached to another task force. We went through our whole deployment up in Mosul, and that was a really good experience. Um, I mean, you know, there's loss and tragedy with everything, but I think our unit cohesion as a whole was phenomenal. You know, we everybody did their job. You know, we really took control of the city, and we did great things, and we thought we left a lasting impression for the next unit to take over and, you know, continue to make good strides, you know, not just, you know, taking out the AQI at the time and, you know, getting detainees, but doing things for the community at the same time, improving their hospitals and helping out with some of the civilian operations at the same time. So what was the reason for you getting out of the military? So second deployment, um, I wound up getting hurt. First deployment, it was crazy because we wound up getting extended so i wound up doing a 16-month tour we had we had guys that were back in alaska and they turned them around and sent them back but um so then we went on a rapid reset and rather than having like a year or two years downtime we deployed again quickly in 2008 we got back December 2006, January 2007, and then deployed again in 2008. And uh, we went to Bakuba, Iraq this time. This time I was a team leader, squad leader. And um, I was involved in a suicide bomber attack. And I was wounded pretty severely to the point where they, uh, they, met, they had to medevac me to Germany. Bear in mind, this was a suicide bomber wearing a vest, and I was on foot, and he blew himself up like 10 feet away from me. So I was like right next to him when it happened. And I don't know how I didn't die that day, but it was literally in millimeters, millimeters. The the doctor's telling me after the fact, because 
um, the vest was wrapped, at, you know, one of their TTPs, uh, what tactics, techniques, and procedures was um, wrapping the explosives in just all kinds of crap. And this one was ball bearings and nails. So they wrapped the explosive in nails. And uh, so I've got a bunch of nails all over my body, mainly my shoulder, but I have one in my neck. And that one in my neck went in between the Y and the internal and the external carotid artery. So if it had gone like one to one side or the other, like literally like one or two millimeters, it I would have bled out in a couple minutes because it would have severed the carotid artery in my neck and I would have been done. But so, uh, did you have you have um, a traumatic brain injury, P- PTSD when you got out? Yeah. Well, the funny thing is the army and the VA still to this day say that I don't have a TBI <laughs> and that all of the symptoms that I have are related to the PTSD and not a TBI, even though I was knocked unconscious and I was walking around like I was just drunk, just in the days, like I dropped my weapon and I'm running into walls and stuff like the classic, like, shock trauma that you see in the movies like that's exactly how it was for me like it was it was a wild experience but they still to this day say that i don't have a tbi even though i get random headaches behind my left eye the same side that that nail is and um my left eye is kind of spongy when you press on it so i'm not all kinds of stuff i've talked to hundreds of, of veterans on this show and the, one of the things that I, I know I struggled with when I got out because I got hurt on duty and they medically discharged me. Yeah. And, you know, I planned on doing 20. I planned on doing 30, but I only got to do 23. Um, and when I got out, when they medically discharged me, I no longer had a mission. Um, I missed my buddies. And I didn't know who Richard was because my whole um, life was being Sergeant Kaufman. And now I didn't know who Richard was. And that was the day that I attempted suicide in 2012. So what was your transitioning like? What were your struggles? It was, it was tough. It was a very, very hard experience because I was a hard charger and I wanted to keep going to the point where I thought that I was potentially going to try out for the recon platoon once we got back, if I stayed in. Um, But that obviously ended it short. I had to sit back and watch my guys go through the rest of their deployment while I was recovering in the uh, warrior transition unit back in Alaska and that was hard in and of itself because here I am recovering in Alaska where they could have sent me to like Bethesda or Walter Reed or anything closer to the East coast over here where all my family is, but I'm tied up in Alaska because that was my home base. And uh, so that was really tough. And I was married at the time to my ex-wife, but, um, it was a good homecoming to see her, but with everything going on inside my head and recovering 
and just dealing with all of that stuff, I started getting into a very bad downward, downward spiral where I didn't care about anything anymore. I was pushing everyone away. I pushed her away. You know, we wound up eventually getting separated and then divorced. Um, I got really bad into drinking. I, you know, I was drinking a bottle of Jack Daniels like every night, even when I was still in up in Alaska recovering. And, you know, it, it was like a big, a normal thing for me. It, get a bottle of Jack and uh, pick up uh, Pizza Hut pizza down the road in North Pole. I lived in North Pole, Alaska at the time. And it was just like a normal thing for me all the time. And that kind of sucked, especially once we got separated. It was just me and uh, Bandit, my dog, in the cabin. You know, he's my saving grace. He's actually sitting on the bed next to me right now. So, you know, I know... um... You know, when I got sober, I had to because it was either that or die. Um, what was your, as they say, your come to Jesus moment when you got when you got sick and tired of being sick and tired? I don't know that I've found that yet. Um, it's one of those things that still to this day, I'm still struggling every every day. You know, I'm. I'm better than I was. I'm not drinking every day, but I'm still drinking. Um, I still have problems. You know, I struggle daily, weekly with all kinds of different stuff with memory problems, forgetting things, places, forgetting to do things. And it makes it especially more difficult with, you know, I've got two kids now and a new wife, which is amazing. They're my, they're my children have been what has kept me here because there have been you know times previously where i thought about ending my own life but you know once i had my kids they're my reason now no matter what so anytime i start slipping into that they um really bring me back but um a big thing with me too has been uh going and trying to help out other veterans at the same time that's been very cathartic in a way to you know helping other people kind of makes me feel better about myself in a little bit i don't know i just like helping people in general but that especially so when you got out of the military um what did you do for work what kind of job did you go back to school what was your next step for I didn't do anything for like six months. I uh, got out, moved back into my parents' house, and uh, that was a kick in the teeth too. But uh, then finally, I started going back to school, and I did all kinds of different odd jobs for a long time. But it was when I was at school that kind of started pushing me in the direction of helping other veterans. I got involved with the, uh, it was like a veterans organization, like a vets club at the school at uh, Three Rivers Community College here in Norwich. And so I got involved with that and I really didn't want to have much participation. But then me being me, there was like an opening for the vice president or something. So I said, all right, nobody wants it. I'll, I'll do it. Fine. It shouldn't be that hard. I'm just supporting the president. 
And then the next year I wind up becoming president and we wind up organizing an event to raise money for Wounded Warrior Project. So that's when I started event organizing, which is pretty cool. And um, I, I really like doing that kind of stuff, do it, throwing events, mainly motorcycle runs. I'm a big biker, have been into uh, motorcycles since after I got hurt, like 2010. And I've always had a Harley since. And, okay. Um, and, you know, I noticed that most Harleys, Harley owners, um, love this country. And for some reason, I don't know what it is, but if you usually 99% of people, if they own a Harley Davidson, they love this country and, and they love America. Why do you think that is? I really think it's the American pride where, um, you know, they're buying an American product and people give me shit all the time. They're like, oh, my Honda's got more American parts in it than yours does. And this CBR and this Kawasaki has more American parts. It's like, you know what? It doesn't matter, man, because when it comes down to it, look at where the money's going. Those companies, they may make their stuff here. You know, like you can go get a Toyota, you can get a Honda, you can get a uh, Hyundai, you know, all these car companies, motorcycle companies. They all have stuff here that are made here. But when it comes down to it, if that headquarters is somewhere else, then you're not really helping us here in the United States. You're just taking all that money and sending it overseas. And so I think part of it is is that having uh, it's a it's that blue collar working man's like union mentality of, you know, by made here by here, you know, it's made in the United States. And that's a big thing with the podcast that I do with Proud to be American is like reviews of products made in the United States because it's so few and far between now, but make comeback, thankfully. But I really think it's that like hardcore, like blue collar ideals, like, you know, grassroots. We built it here. The money's staying here. We're helping our community. So. Yeah, because I remember when Harley Davidson started getting uh, back in, the, I guess, 70s or early 80s. They started with the company AMF and all that. And they got and the pretty much the product went to crap. Uh, nobody bought Harleys anymore until yeah. they, they finally, you know, revitalized the brand and, you know, made it American again. So now talk to us about what made you start a clothing company and a podcast because a lot of people, you know, I've, I've talked to, and of course we're, we're members of a couple groups. And by the way, I love your group. I'm so grateful that you let me be a member of your group. Um, but, you know, when a lot of people get out of the military, guys or girls, you know, they're going to start a t-shirt company, a hat company, a liquor or a coffee company. Ten th- and six months later, they're $10,000 in debt and don't know what the hell just happened. Oh, yeah. No, I'm. So talk to us about your foray into entrepreneurship. So I've turned into a super bro vet. <laughs> I, uh, one of the things that started my like dive into being an entrepreneur was, I think it was like 2014. I can't remember. 
I got my certification to be an NRA instructor. So I started instructing pistol classes here local to me. And uh, from there, I thought about, you know, what I can do to branch out. But it always kind of just stayed as just doing the certification permit classes here for the uh, state of Connecticut with the NRA. And then uh, from there, I, re I really think a big portion of my entrepreneurship started more with the nonprofit side, where I started doing the volunteering with the school. And I wound up doing like three years of the Wounded Warrior Poker Run, the that motorcycle run. And then I took a couple of years off, but then I actually formed a nonprofit. I was the founder and president for more than a few years called uh, Guardians of the Purple Heart, which is still active here locally. And uh, I organized four years of events for them of the Purple Heart Poker Run. So that was that was really when I started getting into getting out into the community and networking and doing what I could for the organization to help make it grow. But the whole time I was spending a lot of time helping other people out and I wasn't helping myself. And so somewhere along the way, I said, you know, I can pour all of my energy into helping other people out if I'm not doing something for myself and something that's going to benefit me in some way then helping other people isn't going to do any good because I always say you got to help yourself first before you help somebody else it's the idea in the in the army and like in the infantry you put your tourniquet on first you and then you go and help your buddy you know same thing with like an airplane airplanes going down and the gas masks come down put your mask on first then help the person in the seat next to you because if you can't help yourself you're you're not going to be able to get out of your own way um and i you know i i definitely believe in that and you know i believe and i say it every day you know you cannot pour from an empty cup exactly so yeah. now what did you do to start filling your cup back up again well, I started working more on my career. I got a job working at a sheet metal shop up in uh, Eastford. And then from there, I wound up getting into electric boat. So that was my nine to five job. But then on the side of that, uh, somewhere through the grapevine, uh, a friend of a friend, actually um, Doug, the president of the nonprofit, that took over for me had introduced me to this guy who had started the brand Killfoot Clothing. And now, what does that mean? What is what does the name mean? So the the term Killfoot is actually a marine term and it's uh somewhat synonymous with an infantryman. It's kind of one of their marching cadences. You know, we have our cadences with them, they say, your left foot's your drill foot, and your right foot's your kill foot. So every time as you're marching, you always step off with your left foot first. So that's your drill foot. And okay. then you, your right foot's going to be your kill foot because you're pivoting on your left and using your right foot to kick the door down. So I really connected with it because I saw it synonymous with 
my time in the infantry, you know, using that kill foot to kick in doors, you know, put the, put the boot to the enemy kind of thing. And, uh, so I thought that was really cool. And, uh, he was just looking to get out of it. He wanted to go back into the military and it was right around the time where I had some extra money and much to my wife's displeasure, she told me not to do it. I wound up buying the brand from him for, I think it was like $5,000. It was pretty cheap just for the inventory he had, the website, customer list, all of that stuff. And um, he didn't really have a very big online presence at the time. And he was barely, not really selling anything online. The main thing he was doing was doing in-person vending, which we still rely heavily on. And we took a big hit last year because of that, because we didn't have that online vending. But um, I was able to take the, the, sorry, I was able to take the, uh, the online persona and try to, you know, rebrand it, you know, increase the Facebook presence. He had like maybe a couple hundred people on Facebook at the time. We really wasn't utilizing it. So able to, you know, connect the Instagram and the Facebook and put them both together and then start working on the marketing aspects and the advertising with Facebook advertising and Google and SEO and linking all that stuff together. This is all the stuff that I was kind of learning when I wound up going into school for business marketing and business management i had a little bit of accounting too which helped me out just enough to get me in trouble with books <laughs> so now accounting. how is business going today uh so i'm back and forth on it because uh you know talking about just struggling all the time uh we took a big hit with covid because we didn't have the opportunity to go out in the community and have those live events where we set up a booth and sell. We do very good with that. So I was forced to rely on just doing online. And I do, I did a lot better than my predecessor did with the online stuff, but I am still no marketing whiz. I'm no online sales genius. And then on top of all this, right in the middle of all this stuff going on with COVID, I wound up getting switched to second shift at work. And that really put a lot of pressure on my family. With my daughter starting to go to school, I I never saw her except for the weekends. And so with that, plus having to figure out times to do stuff for the business and now trying to set up events and stuff i have been thinking about selling the brand myself but i've i've done like an evaluation myself on it i just can't really get to the point where i'm like all right here you go world who wants to buy this established brand with all of this inventory because i still have now now that everything's opening back up like all these events are starting to pop up and you know, the world is flowering again, I guess you could say. So here are all these renewed opportunities and maybe it's just time rather than to just throw it away 
not really thrown away, but I always say, I, I learned a big lesson when I dropped out of rip back in the day. It sometimes it's healthy to know when you're out of your element and you're not doing something you should be. But, um, you know, that wasn't essential necessarily that, but I thought about that with the regret that I had from doing that, learning to know when something is going right and when something is going wrong. And, um, just so I didn't have situations like that in the future where if I did have to walk away from something, it would be regret. And, uh, so it, it's tough for me right now because I also walked away from the nonprofit a few years ago too. And that was very, a very tough breakup for me, I guess you could say, you know, the organization that I built that I founded, I created, it was all my idea to walk away from. And, um, I mean, there was some other stuff in the background with that, but, uh, just okay. So first... now, you know, a lot of people that listen to this are business owners. And of course, this is going to be shared to all of, all of our, our veterans groups. So, you know, I always ask questions of business owners, um, yes. You know, so I have three questions that, I, that I, I would love to ask you. If you had to start all over again with little or no money, how would you do it? I I would do absolutely none, none of the things that I have done so far. <laughs> I would uh, get into investing in rental properties. So real estate would be the way you would go? Yeah, I would get into real estate. I'd get into rental properties. I would have got started out with a duplex, living in one side, renting out the other. And then once I built up enough money, move into a four family. And then, you know, get to the point where you just continuously move your way up with that. Because um, I, you you know what you're good at and you know what you're not good at. Yep. And I figured out that like all the stuff that I'm doing, I'm not very good at. And I need other people's help to do that, but I don't have the money to. So it's, it's one of those cyclical things where you just keep doing the same thing over and over again. It's insanity. It literally the definition. definition of insanity, right? Yes. Yes. Literally the definition. And I am one psycho motherfucker. So. <laughs> all right. But, so- what is the most important lesson you've learned while in business? Um, the biggest thing that I've learned is kind of what I just said too. know what you're good at and know what you're not good at. And you need to recognize that quickly so that rather than try to do everything yourself, you reach out and find the experts who know what they're doing and have them do those tasks for you. You are going to be much more successful running your business, just running your business, not doing the books, not doing the accounting, not uh, going out and doing deliveries. You know, some people are able to do that as a solopreneur and be able to do everything themselves. I have done that for the last two years and it has done me no favors. Um, You know, I keep hitting roadblocks just because of 
you know, lots of excuses and it sucks to say that you're not doing the best you could, but it's for all of these reasons. Um, I think like, um, for me, like just this past week or two weeks, um, I, you know, I made a video the other day. It, It was about, you don't know what you don't know. So hire somebody that does know, you know, like my podcast, you know, we're the top five podcasts in the world, you know, you know, top 5%, but my graphics suck. My marketing sucked. Um, So I had to humble myself and ask for help, you know? So now I have an amazing graphic designer and and he's going to help me with producing and marketing. So like you said, sometimes, you know, you just have to, maybe take a seat back and say, okay, I'm great at interviewing people. I'm great at building relationship, but I really suck at doing graphics and, and marketing. So I, I totally agree what you're talking about. Now, the last question for business I have is what top three pieces of advice would you give to someone that's starting a business today? Because with social media, I think it, it leveled a lot of the playing field. Hmm. Um, I don't know. I think we, we kind of dove into a lot of that stuff. Okay. Uh, so now what was it like, um, starting, if you had to start your podcast all over again from day one, what would you change and what would you do different than, than you, than you do today? Um, I don't think I would change much. I'm very, very uh, spontaneous. And that's just kind of who I am. I think to look back and say that I would do anything any different would just be lying to myself and saying that, you know, you could plan for it and you could try doing things. I'm not that kind of person. I'm like, hey, I want to do this. And then I buy a microphone and I just start doing it. And that's kind of the way that it was with uh, Killfoot, too. Um, I'm very much, you know, I, I dive into things head first and just yeah, I'm either swimming or I need to get out of the water as quickly as possible. <laughs> yeah. And I see where I go from there. But I'm, I'm not very good at taking a step back and researching because at all of the things that I've tried to do that, I never do. And I have great ideas, but they never happen. No, because like a lot of people don't realize, you know, there's over 2 million podcasts out there, but only 50% of them are active. And the average podcast only lasts eight episodes. Wow. So I guess I'm above average on that. So if, you know, (laughs) if you stay consistent, you know, doing podcasting, you know, because that's what I'm focused on now. Yeah. Then, you know, you can pull ahead. But a lot of people, they don't realize that starting your own podcast, you know, booking guests, you know, having your calendars, you know, know, doing graphics, it's work. (laughs) You know, as simple as it is, it's still work. And you have to put a lot of work into it. And I think that's why a lot of people quit. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it's definitely very much like my fourth job. (laughs) you know between uh my nine to five the clothing the motorcycle club the kids you know it's it's just another thing to add on to my pile 
Um, but it's it's very much that it you need to stay consistent to be relevant. And the big thing right now is social media. And I am horrible because I talk so much about stuff on the show and all these like great tips and ideas for motivation, how to improve yourself. And I don't do a lot of them. <laughs> I do because you know, I make the excuses. I say I don't have the time to do it. Um and that sucks, but it's one of those things like you gotta make the time to do it. You have to, you know, do your do your promo stuff because people see the promo stuff, they get excited for the show. It helps your guests feel better about being on your show. And they'll promote it more themselves, saying that they're oh hey, look at I'm gonna be on uh Richard Kaufman vertical momentum. Check out this cool picture that he made with me on it. I look like a rock star. This is super cool. Um, you know, that kind of stuff is huge. And like you talked about that consistency, being able to do it every week. And even if it gets to the point, one of the things that I do is if I have somebody cancel on me, I will still do my show 90% of the time. I will go on and I will just do a random like 15 to 20 minute blurb about what's going on that day with me or events coming up and that helps out a lot because when you stop losing that consistency you stop you start losing your viewership but with with me i think to me it's less about the people that are listening and more about talking to the people on my show and getting their name and their thoughts out there, promoting them in some way. See, I'm the same way. And, you know, like I tell everybody, you know, once you come on my, I mean, we've been friends for a while though, but you know, once you come on my show is when the relationship just begins, you know, cause I'm all about building generational relationships. And I think that's what makes us, makes me different. I'm your, I'm your, I want to build relationships. So once we first, once I have a person on the show, you know, that's when it's like, all right, now the relationship just begin and I'm going to help promote you, you and whatever you're doing. And, you know, a, a lot of people are so, all right, I want to put it this way. Um, I get a lot of connection requests, especially from people that are crypto or Forex. And I'm like, uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm not even going there. <laughs> um, so talk to us about building, you know, even though it's, it's, you know, we're on our phones right now, we're still building real relationships. So talk to us about, you know, in the age that we live in, building real relationships and not being that guy or girl that after sending you a connection request, you, they give you a 30 paid sales pitch like five seconds later. It's, it's huge. Um, and it's, it's crazy because we even see it so much in our group with the vetpreneur tribe and a lot of groups that I'm in, um, people, there's not a lot of like real ass people out there that are interested in like really connecting. You know, I always tell people, if I tell you you can reach out to me and I'll be there whenever you need me. Like I'm not friggin' lying. Yeah. You, you call me and say, you need my help. 
expect me to be there unless I am like sick or dying. I will be there nine times out of 10. And there are not a lot of people out there like that because I have, I don't know how many times reached out and said, Hey, I need help with this. I need help with that. And either you won't hear anything but crickets or you'll get pitched. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of these groups are. And that's, what's tough about build trying to build, like you say, build relationships with people because it seems like, well, people are only out there looking out for themselves now. And you know, I don't know. I, I guess I just continuously try to help other people more than I do myself. You know, once it's again, about... going against my own, <laughs> going against my own ideas of, you know, help yourself before anyone else. No, I'm going to put everyone else before me. And so there's just not a lot us, of people like that. Talk to us about your group and how it's different. Um, which one? The Entrepreneur Tribe or Proud to Be an American Podcast group? Proud to Be an American Podcast. Uh, I don't think, to be quite honest, my group is not that much different than many other people's groups. But I think the people that are joining my group, they have somewhat of that same mindset where they want to do more they are proud to be an american they want to buy that product that's made in the united states they're proud of their culture and they're proud of their heritage and you know there's a lot of people a lot of veterans on there that are still ready to support and defend the constitution against all enemies foreign and domestic so help me god you know and that's that's a big thing I think that pride and that patriotism is something that as a country we've really lost. It's, it's really one side against the other. And that sucks because there, I remember as a kid, pretty much everybody was pretty patriotic. You know, it wasn't like a left versus a right. It wasn't a right versus a wrong. It was, I'm an American and our country is awesome. And I, I, it's really hit me hard these last couple of years hearing a lot of things that people have said. And I think that was a big reason why I started the podcast too. All of these people who are out there who say, you know, I don't, I don't care what the naysayers are saying. America is the greatest country in the world. And if it wasn't for the freedoms and the history that we have, there was a lot of people that wouldn't be afforded the opportunities that they do have. So that, I think that's a big thing about my show too. And that's a big thing about my group. And, you know, maybe that's what makes my show so cool, you know, it's because I talk about that a lot. I, I talk about a little, you know, business and entrepreneurship and motivation, but I always circle back to America and why America is so amazing, you know. Me and, too, brother. I'm I'm all I'm I'm red, white, and blue through and through. Yeah. America first, baby. So the last two questions I have: um, 
how do we find you? How do we find your podcast? How do we find your clothing brand and your group? Perfect. So, uh, Killfoot Clothing, you can find me at killfootclothing.com or our Facebook page is at Killfoot Clothing. And then the podcast is at Proud to be an American. And then the podcast is also available on YouTube for the video. All of the video I upload to the uh, Facebook page because it's live from Facebook. And then it gets uploaded audio only through Anchor to Spotify, Apple, and a bunch of other ones. I can't remember off the top of my head. Okay. But, uh, it's uh, every Wednesday at noon right now until I finally get back to first ship in September, which is huge. And then uh, the shows are going to switch to evenings, but they're live at noon on Wednesdays and they're they get our uh, live simulcast it simul they're broadcast simultaneously. I guess that is simulcasting. Yeah. <laughs> broadcast simultaneously from my personal page rent walker at brent walker uh from the killfoot clothing page and from the proud to be an american page and then if you guys are really uh wanted to dive deeper into you know cool american stuff i definitely want to be more active within the proud to be an american group that's on facebook proud to be an american and that's our own separate group to talk about products made in the United States, how cool the United States is, and how wicked I look in my uh, American flag silkies. There you go, brother. All right, so <laughs> last question that I have, um, you know, we're still, you know, me and you are both on, both on the East Coast, and we really got hit pretty hard with COVID. So a lot of companies here in New Jersey went out of business. So we got a lot of parents that are driving uber doordash you know just trying to put food in on on the table so if i ask the average american to do something in seven days they're pretty much never going to get to it but if i ask somebody to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours they're more likely so i'm going to ask you a two-part question if somebody is struggling with their mental health and if somebody is struggling in their business what can they do in the next 24 hours to get some health on help on both fronts? So I have started uh, going right to physical. Um, if you're hurting mentally, then start pumping it physically. Uh, get out there and get active. The more you sit around and do nothing, the deeper into that hole you get. And that has been a big key for my mental health and feeling down. Um, and that's, it, it, it gets your body moving. You get your body moving, you get your mind moving and it gets you out of that hole. If you, you need to make the move to do something, because if you just sit there and do nothing, you're just going to rot. You're going to turn into mushrooms because you're going to be dead and decaying. So get up and do something. If you keep saying you're going to, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, you're never going to do it. 
Um, and I think that's the same thing with the business mentality too. This is the time of ever moving. Uh, you know, I mean, look at like just the stock market, crypto businesses, they're coming and going in and out, up and down. If you're not making moves when you can with your business, with yourself personally, then it's going to go, it's going to go, you're going to miss it. And then you're going to be searching for the next thing. I love it. I'm so grateful that, you know, we finally got a chance to talk. This is probably going to go out next season. So it's going to, it's going to be a while, but now, like I said, I have a professional producer doing everything. So when it does come out, it's going to be truly amazing. Um, Brother, I just want to say thank you. Everything you do for me. Thank you for your friendship. Most of all, and I uh, hope you have an amazing week. I'm actually taking a couple of days off and uh, taking a four-day weekend, taking the family. We're going to go to uh, uh, Great Wolf Lodge and hang out in Water Park and have a little fun. Because what's the sense of doing all this work if we can't enjoy it with our family, you know? Exactly. I definitely feel that. And, Rich, definitely thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, everybody out there, thank you for listening. Again, you can find me on any of the social media stuff, Instagram, Facebook, Killflip Clothing, Proud to be an American Podcast. And if you have a question on anything that we've talked about, feel free to just reach me on my personal Facebook page. I'm Brother, well, have an amazing week. Guys, if you're listening to this, check out the podcast, check out the clothing. Um, I love the clothing that you guys put out. You guys do a great work and it's high quality work. Um, I, I actually own some of it. So I, I love your, your, your products. All right, brother. Well, have an amazing week and God bless you and the family. Thanks brother. You have a great time at uh, great wolf lodge. All right, brother. Be good. Take it easy. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.